Welcome to another edition of Take Charge Basketball Podcast. I would like to welcome back Mike DiMartino. Thanks for having me, Ken. Uh, it's good to be back. I'm excited. Uh, we got an exciting episode for you guys today. Um, I was just busy with some stuff. Ken did a great job. Shout out to him for um, holding down the last episode by himself. Uh, I'm sure it was pretty challenging uh, going this whole time by himself, but he really did a great job talking about the Western Conference playoff race. Um, but yeah, like I said, we got a great, great episode today. We're going to be talking about end of the season awards, and uh, me and Ken each have our picks. We'll discuss, we'll debate, and so forth. Yeah, it's definitely great to have you back. Uh, remember to follow us on Twitter. You can follow the podcast Twitter at Take Charge B Ball, or you can follow us individually. I'm at Ken Cologne 24. You can follow Mike um, at MD Martino 203. Yeah, and don't also don't forget to check out our website, Take Charge Basketball.com. Our first blog post went up on uh, Friday, it was I believe, and um, it was about kind of how having a coach head coach also had dual player personnel role is not really effective for winning an NBA championship. It was great writing it. I had some great feedback. And it was also good to, to consult some NBA people on it, and, and they were pretty excited about it too. Yeah, definitely definitely a great read. Uh, Ken put a lot of research into that. Um, definitely, definitely a great uh, and interesting topic uh, to look into. Um, if you're an NBA fan, definitely check it out. Great read, well written. The research, the numbers are great. They back up his claims, and uh, yeah, definitely a great read. Go check that out. Also, too, a reminder: we are on Apple Podcasts, so please subscribe, rate, and review. We would love your feedback to make this a better experience for everybody. Um, and let's let's kind of move on now to topic, and let's let's get going. Uh, some recent NBA news, Mitch Kupchak has now officially been hired as the Hornets general manager. He replaces former general manager Rich Cho. And I think it's kind of an interesting hire, seeing as how he's co- more of old school in terms of thought, especially as the NBA kind of turns more into this analytics type of game. And that, that was Rich Cho's background, so it seems like Michael Jordan now is going back to, to old school type of thinking with, with Kupchak. Right, Kupchak, um, I think just his track record, his resume, um, he's shown that he could sustain, sustain success for years um, as he was a general manager, I believe 18, 17, 18 years in L.A., um, did a great job there, helped make some uh, huge moves, delivered a handful of NBA championships, helped sustain, sustain the Lakers' uh, success throughout the 2000s, and, um, I mean, I think he has a great resume, so I think that's the main reason for the hire, even though he's, he's not really into that new school analytics type of deal. But um, it'll be interesting to see what he does this offseason with their roster. they got a few guys that are um, severely overpaid. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what he does to shake up that roster and uh, try to get the Hornets back in the playoffs. Yeah, definitely. It'll be interesting to see what he does and see if we if they can get some symmetry between their ownership front office and, and coaching staff. I guess another big thing going on right now is the Western Conference playoff race. That's probably the most exciting it's been in a while, and in kind of a 
kind of interesting because everyone at the beginning of this season in the past two seasons have, has been saying, oh, the Warriors are just going to win and blow through. Why does the regular season even matter? And I think this makes an interesting case for why the regular season does matter. And it's just a really tight race overall. If you look at um, five through nine in the Western Conference, it's separated by one game. New Orleans right now has the fifth seed. San Antonio has the sixth. And Oklahoma City has a seventh, and they're all um, they all have the same record right now. And then Minnesota and Denver, uh, Minnesota has the eighth seed, and Denver has the ninth, uh, or is in ninth, looking out um, of the playoffs right now because they they lost the tiebreaker to Minnesota. But but we'll see how it goes. Minnesota's really been playing bad, and they need Jimmy right. Butler back. I think they're really happy to have him back. I think um, Oklahoma City, San Antonio, New Orleans, they'll make it. It's definitely between Minnesota and Denver. And at this rate, I, I might say Denver takes that eighth seed. You think so? I think, honestly, I think this Western Conference race, I, I think it's great for the league. It's creating storylines. People are into it. People are interested to see how this is going to play out the last couple of games of the season. Because usually around this time is when teams start benching their starters um, kind of packing it in, resting guys for the rest of the season. Um, but the competitive nature, uh, people are still people are still uh, real interested in what's going on. And just looking at the teams, um, you got some teams at the top of the standings that have, have overachieved. You got some teams at the bottom, towards the bottom, seven, eight seed Thunder Timberwolves who have underachieved. Um, the Timberwolves, particularly, hovering around the four, five seed all season. Uh, they're finally saying, oh, the Timberwolves are back. We got Thibodeau coaching. Uh, we added Jimmy Butler. And now they, haven't, they have the longest tenure of not making the playoffs of any franchise in the league. And they finally, they finally have a talented roster. They finally have a good coach. And uh, they might slip out of the playoffs in the last couple of games of the season. So it'll be interesting to see what happens with that. Yeah, definitely. No, no one's really, at least the five through eight seed, hasn't been clinched. Uh, the first four seeds, home court advantage for the first round have. That would be the Rockets at one, Golden State at two, Portland at three, and Utah at four. And um, Mike also had some, some other interesting news, uh, a nice feel-good story to kind of start the week. Yeah, great story I just heard of today. Andre Ingram, American University alum, four-year college player, graduating in 2007, undrafted, 10-year D-League, now G-League vet, um, all-time career D-League three-point leader, 32 years old, finally gets the call. Um, the Lakers have signed him for the rest of the season, the last few games. Um, definitely some, some guys have shown on social media, um, you know, giving him, shout, giving him a, some shout-outs. And, uh, yeah, just a great story of persistence, never giving up. He had his dream of making it to the NBA, um, hover around the D-League for 10 years, um, had great success there, but was just never never quite got that call up, and uh, now he's got an opportunity, a few games with L.A. Um, so shout-out to Andre Ingram. Uh, great story. And, uh, yeah, that really that really cheered me up today, you know. <laughs> you know, I was like, I, I, we got to mention this on the podcast. Um there's a great story for the league, and even for the G League, uh, you know, good for the G League to get some headlines and uh, get some buzz going for them. But yeah, we got a great show ahead. Ken, why don't we uh, yeah, that, start off? That definitely was a, was a great story. 
And yeah, I think we're ready to get into our main discussion topic of the day, which is end-of-year awards, which are kind of fun, just looking at who's been really doing well this season, who's improved, and also looking at coaches and, and general managers for the coach of the year and executive of the year. And the, and the way we'll do this is I'll go through my picks first, and then Mike will go through his, and then we'll just go back and... Uh, say explain our reasoning for for each pick we got some stats to back it up some other storylines so yeah let's let's give this a go uh first off we have mvp so for me i have james harden rookie of the year i have ben simmons defensive player of the year i have rudy gobert for sixth man of the year i have lou williams for most improved i have victor oladipo coach of the year i threw a threw a curveball uh here but i have quinn snyder and for executive of the year, I have Daryl Morey. Yep, I got uh, a lot of similar picks uh, to Ken, as I'm sure a lot of people agree with. But um, for MVP, I have James Harden. Rookie of the year, Ben Simmons. Defensive player of the year, Anthony Davis. Sixth man of the year, Lou Williams. Most improved, Victor Oladipo. Coach of the year, Brad Stevens. And executive of the year, Daryl Morey. Awesome. Well, let's go through. Uh, we'll start first with MVP and James Harden. I think some of the stats that really stand out for his case is he leads the NBA with with thirty point six points per game. He's third in assists with eight point seven a game. Uh, he leads the NBA in three pointers made by a lot with two hundred sixty two three pointers made on the season. And the next best person is Paul George with with two hundred thirty one. And looking at his shooting, he's very efficient, especially with taking a lot of his shots from the outside. But he has sixty two percent true shooting, and that true shooting factors in free throw percentage, so he does get to the line, which yep. is why that number is so high too. And the Rockets do have the best record in the league, which I think is is huge when it comes to MVP. Yeah, it definitely, definitely plays a factor. Um, I picked Harden as well. Like Ken said, um, just his impact on the Rockets, they, they've overachieved. Um, people expected them to do well uh, with the addition of Chris Paul, but um, Harden has really uh, taken on that, that leadership role, that go-to guy while well, Chris Paul has kind of been the, the Robin to his Batman. Um, but I do, granted, I do think Chris Paul has, has helped to harden and elevate his game a little bit. Um, and like I said, the Rockets, they do have the best record in the league. Harden's their best player, leads the league in scoring, third in assists. Uh, I think it only makes sense that he's the uh, league MVP this year. Yeah, and I think we'd be remiss if we didn't also mention LeBron James, who I think... I don't think it's a complete runaway, although I feel like most people will be voting for James Harden. He'll ultimately yep. win it. But I think we do have to mention LeBron James, who, who is a little a little um, below James Harden in, in points per game with in third in the league with 27.7. But he is also second in assists, averaging 9.2 a game. And he's also got 8.7 rebounds a game. So he's, he's hovering just under... A triple double, which is impressive, and also he's played every game so far this season, and it looks like he's going to be playing all 82 games this season, which is absolutely impressive. Yeah, I believe that's the first time in his career that he would be playing 82 games. Yeah, um, and also too, he's playing at the highest pace of his career, which I thought was interesting. So he's playing m more minutes 
at a higher pace playing every game, so the amount of wear and tear on his body that he's been able to endure and still be able to put all these numbers up is is phenomenal. Yeah, I think I think the biggest case for for LeBron as MVP is that he he truly is the most valuable player to his team. Mm-hmm. Say so you take LeBron off that team with the guys that have came in and out of that team, all the roster changes they had midseason. If you take LeBron off that team, I I really don't think they'll be very good. Mm-hmm. Granted, you take James Harden off the Rockets, I think they'd still be a playoff team. Yeah. Um, I don't think definitely not the one seed, but um, in the Western Conference with Chris Paul, with the role players they have, I do see them being a playoff team. Rather the Cavaliers, I, I see them towards the um, high end of the lottery. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's really the best case for James. But also um, a common common discussion topic about the MVP award you see a lot. Uh, Michelle Beadle on the jump right. really um, is an advocate for this. She mentions it a lot, um, asking what does the MVP award really mean? Does it mean who is the best player in the league mm-hmm. or what player has had the best season? Because if you think about it, you ask pretty much anybody – Oh, who's the best player in the NBA? They'll probably say LeBron James. Exactly. So you say LeBron James is the best player in the league, but who has had the most successful season? James Harden. Yeah, say Harden. So Michelle Beadle, who? Oh, Michelle Beadle and Rachel Nichols. Mm-hmm. Um, both say it. Um, they agree on ESPN over on ESPN um, that you might want to have two awards mm-hmm. as best player. And then most valuable, best season. Mm-hmm. But um, I don't know. I feel like if you have best player, then LeBron would have won it the past 10 years right. or so. Right. So um, that's just something interesting to think about. Um, I'm sure the league has thought about it. But um, yeah. for this year, I, I, I truly believe James Harden is the NBA's most valuable player. Also, also we should include that others to be considered who, who have done really well. Giannis right. has really broken out this year. Anthony Davis has really carried his team, especially now without DeMarcus Cousins. And also Damian Lillard right. has played really well in leading his Trailblazers team to a three seed, which most had them, some people had them out of the playoffs, some yep. people had them hovering around 7-8. So I think that's really impressive and to take note of as well. And also last year's MVP, Russell Westbrook, who it's kind of surprising that nobody's really considering him for MVP, seeing as how he's almost averaging a triple-double again this year. So all the hype about the triple-doubles last year, if you voted for Russ last year, why why wouldn't you vote for him this year? He's averaging almost the same numbers. It's just they haven't won as many games, and he's had a little bit more talent around him. Right, and a, a little knock that people are having against James Harden is that Statistically, he had a better season last year. Yeah. Um, his assist he, I, his assist numbers were higher. Um, some other statistics, but obviously Russell Westbrook averaging a triple double, um, kind of stole the show for MVP. But um, I think now the Harden they're the number one seed, and and greater the fact with Russell Westbrook in the the Thunder um, that they added guys like Carmelo Anthony, Paul George. And they've uh, they've dropped in the playoff standings uh, this season, yeah. um, as of right now. Um, I think that leads that um, adds into the knock against uh, Westbrook. But like you said, Damian Lillard, I think he's a guy that if um, 
LeBron and, and Harden weren't putting up such such crazy numbers. He might be my um, he might be my third place guy, considering um, how well the Trailblazers have played, how well they've overachieved, um, and his play is just fantastic. Um, he scores, he makes his teammates better, and uh, he's really the leader of that group. So um, yeah. huge fan of Damian Lillard. Yeah, he'd get my vote for a first team All NBA. Um, so yeah, can uh, let's move on now to. Rookie of the year. Yeah, we, we both picked Ben Simmons on this, and I would like to preface this conversation about Rookie of the Year because a lot of people are like, oh, if you pick Ben Simmons, you, you're a Donovan Mitchell hater. If you pick Donovan Mitchell, you're a Ben Simmons hater. Right. And I don't think that's the case. I think it's so close, and this might be one of the closest, if not the closest race of, of this season. Oh, yeah. So I do pick Ben Simmons. I think we both feel this way, that we both pick Ben Simmons, but Donovan Mitchell is literally right behind him. Yeah. He's, ben Simmons is 1A, Donovan Mitchell is 1B, right. I think is how we'll, we'll describe it. But Ben Simmons's numbers have been amazing. He's been averaging 16 points per game, 8.1 rebounds, and, and 8 assists, which is phenomenal especially because I think the points per game and the assists per game are fairly impressive because his lack of three-point shooting ability. Oh, yeah. He's able to get into the lane and score despite the fact people are playing so far off of him. Yeah, I agree. Um, Simmons, I, I just can't see him not getting rookie of the year. He's putting up numbers that only LeBron and Westbrook are putting up in terms of um, statistics across the board with his assist and rebounding numbers. Uh, he's starting to draw comparisons to Magic Johnson, LeBron himself. And I, like you said, I think the most impressive thing about his game is his ability to score the ball and uh, distribute without, with practically without a three-point shot. Right. Um, it just shows you how athletic, uh, how quick his first step is uh, to be able to get in the lane, finish, um, make plays for his teammates. Uh, I really think... I've, I've thought so since college. I, I think he's a generational talent. But um, like you said, Donovan Mitchell right behind him. Behind him, Not many rookies average 20 points a game. They're the go-to guys for their teams as a rookie. Yeah. And he was the 13th pick. People forget that. Like, okay, you might see a, a go-to guy, a team have a go-to guy that's a rookie who is a mm -hmm. top five pick. But he was the 13th pick. Yeah. Was he the 13th? Yeah, 13th that's, pick. He was around there. Definitely late lottery. Late lottery. And uh, he's he's emerged. They they defer to him. They look to him for leadership, um, to score the ball, and they they might get the fourth seed in the West. Yeah, which is crazy. I think too with Donovan Mitchell, it's it's funny. I think I forgot what what source I was listening to. It might have been the Low Post, but uh, but they were talking about Donovan Mitchell and and how um, hush the the Jazz front office was keeping it because they saw this guy work out, and they were like this. This guy is it. Like he is the man, and I believe there was there was something like the front office was telling people that, that if they if word got out that they were looking at Donovan Mitchell, they would have been fired like on the spot, <laughs> which which I thought was pretty funny. Yeah, and also he he has been the leader, and that and that's been a big story too. Is that the guys have really gravitated towards him in the locker room, which mm -hmm. I think is huge, and and speaks to how great of a kid he is, because he's so young, but everyone's looking to him as a leader. And and going back to Ben Simmons too, his last seven games without Embiid, he's been averaging seventeen points, nine point seven rebounds, so pretty much ten rebounds and ten assists, which is close to a triple double without without Embiid, which is pretty impressive. 
Right. Um, I think going back to Mitchell, too, it's a um, looking at his success, uh, the way he's kind of taken the league by storm. Uh, no one really expected him to be putting up the numbers that he is, he's, he's putting up. Um, I think that really shows you that, like, drafting a guy purely off potential, mm-hmm. it could be high risk, high reward, but Donovan Mitchell has always had above elite athleticism. Um, and with him, his work ethic, getting in the gym, working on his jump shot, I know he works out in New York with, with Chris Brickley over the summer, top NBA trainer, um, really refined his skills um, so that he could turn into this go-to score. The athleticism has always been there. One of the top, coming in before this, I, I was saying, before this season, I was saying that he would be one of the top athletes in the NBA um, with his jumping ability. So I think his his athleticism, his potential is, is paying off pretty quick. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what teams do going in the future, drafting guys. Um, they say, hey, their skills might, the production might not be there in college, but um, the tools are there. So, um, yeah. yeah, huge testament to his work ethic and, and uh, how much better he's gotten. His three-point his three shot is, is very, very good. His, uh, his ability to make shots um, off screens, off the dribble is, is beyond his years. Yeah, I think three-point-wise, I'm not too sure how he's shooting three-pointers. I, I remember him not being super efficient, although he, is, he might be making a fair amount. Right. But, yeah, his three-point percentage is 33.9, which isn't bad for a right. rookie. It's definitely better than Simmons. Right. Um, but I feel like Simmons has only attempted maybe three three-point right. shots. Right, and for, for Mitchell, a guy coming in that people didn't look at as a three-point shooter. Right, right. So, th- I mean, 33.9 isn't bad for a rookie and something that can definitely be improved upon. But I think no matter what, I, and I think it might be a little bit unfair, too, because Ben Simmons might have, or he's had that, he's more of a rookie and a half because he's had that year to sit out right. and watch. But no matter no matter. We're taking that into consideration. I I still think Ben Simmons comes out on top, and I think it's also good to include other contenders for this, like Jason Tatum with Boston, and Kyle Kuzma with the Lakers, who's really impressed too as a later pick and kind of a gem in right. the draft. Right. I mean, some other guys too. You could even throw in there Dennis Smith Jr., Laurie Markkinen. Um, it's been a great, great uh, season for these rookies. This draft class has really um, exceeded expectations. Um, I, I think you take a guy like Markinen or, or Dennis Smith, you put him in last year's draft class, they probably would have been Rookie of the Year. Oh, and they're, they're not even in the top four or five consideration for Rookie of the Year this year, which uh, just shows you how much of an impact these rookies are making this season. Yeah, I think, is there anything more you have on that, or do you want to move on? No, I think that pretty much uh, sums it up. Let's get into uh, Defensive Player of the Year. All right, yeah, we had some disagreement here for Defensive Player of the Year. I had Rudy Gobert, Mike had Anthony Davis. Let's let's go with Gobert first. I guess I'll I'll make my case for Gobert, and you mm-hmm. can kind of make your case for Davis. Yeah. But I think let's let's start off with a knock on him. Is yeah, he's only played fifty three games as of uh, Sunday, April eighth. So the the total games played isn't isn't there compared to some other guys. But I think if you look at his numbers, he's averaging 10.7 rebounds per game. He was averaging 2.4 blocks per game, which is just 0.1 below Anthony Davis. 
and then also with his impact within his team, which is an elite defensive team in the league. Um, he's got the highest plus-minus on the team with uh, 5.9 when when uh, he's on the court, and then point or negative 0.1 plus-minus when he's off, and that's a large part uh, of and that's a large part to his defense because he's only scoring just under 14 points a game. So a lot of that is with his defense. And then also when he's on the court, um, the team has a defensive rating of 97.9. And then when he's off the court, the team has a defensive rating of 105.4. And I think that discrepancy is huge when you're looking at his defensive impact. And another stat that was really, I think, really good to look at, especially for centers, um, that he's fifth in the league in contesting shots at the rim. He contests 6.4 shots a game. And on those shots, opponents are shooting only 55.5%, which for shots at the rim is way lower than you would want. Yeah, so um, pretty much my case for Anthony Davis um, leads the league in block shots per game, 2.5 per game, uh, fifth in rebounds at 11.1, top 25 in steals for a big man. Um, another interesting stat, tied for eighth with with um, Marcus Saul and Joel Embiid and contested shots at the rim per game with 5.8, while opponents shooting 52%. Um, but I think overall, beyond the statistics, because um, I believe Gobert, if you, if you look deep into the, the defensive analytics, um, he has a huge impact on that team in the time that he's played. Um, when you look at Anthony Davis, the overall, with the circumstances this year with the Pelicans, with DeMarcus Cousins going down, um, and the way he stepped up, I mean, I know it's Defensive Player of the Year, but the way he stepped up defensively and offensively um, to take this, this Pelicans team to, right now they're sitting at the five seed, I believe, in the West, um, way overachieving. One of those teams that I mentioned before that's, that's overachieving in the Western Conference. Um, the way he's... He's taken that team and uh, kind of pretty much put them on his on his shoulders um, and lead him in the defensive end, leads the league in block shots. Um, that's why Anthony Davis would get my vote. And the knock, my knock against Rudy Gobert is only played uh, is only played in 53 games this season. Right. Um, I think that would really be the only knock against him because statistically, um, if you go into all those defensive analytics. Uh, he looks like the defensive player of the year, leading that Jazz squad, squad on the defensive end. But um, Anthony Davis would get my vote. So Yeah, and, and that's a fair assessment. And I think if he doesn't win, that's going to be the reason why. Right. But I think just his him coming back from injury has been so impactful on the team, especially on the defensive end. Like f Since the All-Star break, the team in general, and this is also a testament to Quinn Snyder, which we'll talk about, Quinn mm -hmm. Snyder's defensive schematics. But I think Rudy Gobert's return has really helped the team, especially after the All-Star break where their team defense is, is first overall, allowing about 95 points per game. But overall in the season, too, their, their defensive rating is, is second in the league behind the Celtics. And, and my argument against Anthony Davis would be looking at his defensive rating when he's on. Uh, his defensive rating when he's on the court is 104 which is which these these aren't solely on Anthony Davis or solely on Rudy Gobert, but I think it's a huge measure of their presence. Right. So Anthony Davis's defensive rating on is one oh four, 
versus his defensive rating off, which is 110. And then also their team overall, although that is team overall, they're 14th in defensive rating. But I still think Anthony... I'm not saying Anthony Davis doesn't have a presence. I would, I would hate to go right. to <laughs> Anthony Davis. I think most players would. But that those are kind of my arguments against Anthony Davis and, and for Rudy Gobert. Right. I think um, going back to the fact that Rudy Gobert only played 53 games, um, even with the impact he had when he was on the court, um, the same kind of thing happened last season for the Rookie of the Year voting with um, uh, concerning Joel Embiid. Um, statistically, he had the best numbers out of any rookie. Mm-hmm. Um, if he played maybe 30 more games, easily would have been Rookie of the Year. But um, his time off the court uh, hurt him in that. But his impact when he was on the court obviously was the greatest out of any rookie. But granted, he only played about 20 games last year. Uh, Gobert has played more than half the games this season. So um, I don't think that will affect him much. Absolutely. And also some more players to consider. If you look at um, Joel Embiid, who definitely is is a contender, he might actually be the safest choice. I kind of went abstract on this one as I did the coaching one. But Joel Embiid is definitely a contender, and he's played in. He won't play in any more games this regular season, but he's played in ten more games than Gobert, which is which is worth noting. He's played sixty three games before his facial fracture. Um, his defensive rating on the court was ninety nine point seven, and then when he was off the court, uh, the Sixers let up one hundred four point five points. Uh, when he was off, and then he's also tied with Gasol and Davis in contested shots at the rim. Per game at 5.8 with opponents shooting 55.5%. And then I think it's also a testament to his defense, defensive skill that the 76ers are third overall in defensive rating. Because if you look at it, they don't have too many great defenders. J.J. Reddick's not a good defender. Robert Covington. Covington Covington's not a good defender. He's a, he's, a, he's a good 3 and D guy on the perimeter. I see him I see him in a lot of uh, first-team all-defense predictions. Yeah, and, and I would agree. He, he is a good defender. Ben Simmons is, is all right. He's still, get, he's still improving. So, but I still think uh, Joel Embiid still made a big impact on, on his right. team overall. And I think another guy to consider uh, probably won't win, but um, you got to consider him Al Horford. Uh, the Celtics are first in the league in defensive rating. He's kind of their defensive catalyst. Uh, his sole impact, like you said, though, um, just doesn't match up to the guys we were listing before. Right. Um, I think the neat, the good thing too about Horford and his kind of in his campaign for Defensive Player of the Year is he can switch out on guards, right. which, which is impressive, especially at a big and is very much needed in this modern NBA. Right. I think just. Um, for defensive player of the year, I just he doesn't have the rebounding numbers as a as a power forward center. He only averages seven rebounds a game. Mm-hmm. Um, just that, I don't know. I, as a as a power forward, um, I mean I don't know how many rebounds per game Draymond averaged last year. I don't, I think he probably averaged around seven, but um, his sole impact on that team uh, last season definitely uh, I think was a little greater than Horford's. Definitely. Definitely some some better candidates for Defensive Player of the Year this year than Al Horford, but should definitely be in the conversation. Right. All right, I think we can move on to Sixth Man of the Year. And we won't talk too much about this because I think this will be consensus. Sixth Man of the Year and Super Sub, Lou Williams. 
I mean, just looking at his stats, I mean, he's first on his team and 14th in the league in scoring with 22.6 points per game, and he scores 29% of the Clippers' points. Um, he's also first on the team in, a, in on his team with 5.3 assists per game, and he's really their their go-to guy. And he almost and should have made the All-Star right. game. Right. Bottom line, I mean, <laughs> if you're your team's go-to guy coming off the bench, you're averaging 22.6 points a game. You probably should have made the All-Star team. Um, I mean, yeah, that bottom line, like, I don't think anybody would debate Lou Williams being sixth man of the year this year. Um, I, th- I think there might be the only one debate, and the only way he wouldn't win this is, but I don't think this is going to happen, is the, his minutes being played as a starter. A lot of people consider him as a starter, and he's right. played a, a good portion of minutes starting. Right. But I think his main role has been this season coming off the bench and being that, that spark plug. Yeah, so, I mean, not much else to say about that. Fred Van Vliet is another guy people are talking about. Um, the Raptors bench is uh, super efficient, and he's the, he's the catalyst for that squad. Um, like we talked about on an earlier episode, the success of the Raptors this season, um, especially with a, with a cast of late-round draft picks, kind of underrated NBA prospects, guys who have panned out to um, find a good role um, and find success in Toronto. Uh, Fred Van Vliet is one of those guys. He's averaging about eight points a game. Um, I don't think that stacks up with Lou Williams' numbers, but um, you got to have some other guys in the conversation. Fred Van Vliet having a great season. Yeah, and I think it's also good to point out, and you mentioned it a little bit, that he is the leader of, of the bench gang over there in Toronto, yep. north of the border, which seems to have a great young bench that, that can actually contribute. And I think something that was really interesting was um, he's a part of the Raptors' two most efficient lineups this season. Huh. So um, these two lineups, the first plays about 13 minutes a game, and the second plays about 8 minutes a game. So he's a part of both those uh, different five-man lineups. And both of those individually are plus thirteen on the season, so that that's a little digging. Uh, yeah, it's not a stat that's right on the surface, but I thought that was actually pretty interesting. Yeah, yeah, really looking at their lineups, it shows their bench. And then I think since Van Vliet is kind of that leader of of the bench crew or the bench gang, that he definitely warrants some six man consideration, as well as he's also playing a lot of clutch minutes as well for the Raptors. Oh yeah. So he's he's playing down the stretch in, in meaningful in meaningful games when when it's tight. Yeah, they uh Toronto plays on T V a lot. Their games are broadcasted. I feel like I always see uh Van Vliet in there making an impact, knocking down a big shot. Um he's had a he's had a couple really big games this season. Um in, in, in key games, uh, I know in particular against Cleveland, he had one really good game where he had yeah. about 28 points or so. Yeah. Um, but yeah, definitely a great season for Fred Van Vliet. All right, moving on, we will now do the most improved player. And this one also, too, I think is a runaway with most people going to pick uh, Indianapolis's Victor Oladipo. I mean, he's just had an incredible season, and this, this has been a breakout season for him. He's averaging only one more minute than last year, so he's he's played only one more minute per game. Uh, but he leads the league in steals at, at 2.4 points per game, um, and he's had a steal in 63 consecutive games as of, I believe, April 7th, and that streak looks to continue. I mean, 
despite only playing one more minute, he's scoring seven more points per game this season. Um, he's he's averaging 23.1 points per game, and also his f uh, field goal percentage, three-point percentage, and free throw percentage has all gone up this year. Yeah, I agreed. Um, like you said, I'm sure it'll be a consensus pick for Oladipo uh, to be most improved. I think he... Um, he really epitomizes everything you look for in a most improved player. Uh, this year, he, he really blossomed from a, from a good NBA player, solid role player. Um, for most of his career, he played that scoring two-way guard role, scored about 15, 16 points a game, uh, always known for his defense, his athleticism, but was, was never quite, was always that, you know, in, uh, in Oklahoma City, he really played that second, third option to Russell Westbrook. Um, gets opportunity uh, in Indiana in the Paul George deal and uh, really blossoms into an all-star. Um, averages 23 points a game. Um, he's their go-to guy, and uh, he's he's really blossoming into into an NBA star. I I think what you said is is pretty spot on. I think he really learned from Russ and took uh, a more of a leadership role this year. Was a lot more aggressive. And usually, and really looked at Russ as a role model, which was really great, and, right. and they're really good role models to have right. um, in Russ Westbrook. Right. Um, yeah. Some other uh, other candidates that we considered for most improved player: Jalen Brown, Clint Capella, Giannis Antetokounmpo, who was the 2017 winner, um, and also Chris Dunn in there. Uh, what do you think about those guys, Ken? Yeah, I think they've all had pretty good seasons. Giannis has really made a jump. Excuse me, Giannis uh, has really made a jump. I have to get the name right. <laughs> it's a hard one. Um, and he's become a really big superstar this year. But I mean, if you look at his numbers from last year, he didn't really suck last year. Right. He, he was one of the he was one of the top players in the NBA. Right. So you can't really give it to him there. Clint Capella, if you look at his numbers, he didn't really suck that much last right. year. Not to say Victor Oladipo sucked. He made a he was a pretty solid role player. But he made the biggest he really made the biggest it, leap. Exactly. And then Jalen Brown, it's it's hard to give it to a rookie in or in someone a sophomore, sophomore. Yeah. after someone was a rookie last year just because it's like their first league, first yeah. time in the league. Same with Chris Dunn. Yeah. I think it's the same case for Chris Dunn. Yeah, but I, I'd say the, the case for Jalen Brown and Chris Dunn is uh, both, of the, both of those guys, I believe, um, led the league this season in biggest, um, biggest point-per-game average jump from last season. They both increased their scoring by about 10 points a game, which is pretty impressive. So, uh, yeah, let's get into our Coach of the Year picks. Ken, you said Quinn Snyder from the Jazz. Yeah. I picked Quinn, although initially, I remember when we were texting about this and talking about this beforehand, I initially picked uh, Dwayne Casey right. from the Raptors. That was kind of my go-to first instinct pick. But when I thought about it more, uh, I really liked Quinn Snyder. Yeah. Um, I picked Brad Stevens from the Celtics. Um, my case for him is really just based off of the roller coaster season the Celtics have really had. Um starting with uh, the turnover of their roster in the offseason um, to the Gordon Hayward injury on opening night that everybody saw, to Kyrie Irving getting injured. Um, and at the end of the day, Celtics are still the number two seed in the East, and they lead the league first in defensive rating. 
which is really a testament to really his his system, his defensive schemes, showing that they were at the top of the league last year in defensive rating uh, with pretty much a whole different group of players, different core of players, and to do it the same, uh, to lead the league again this season uh, is a testament to the coaching staff. He's done a great job leading those, uh, developing those players. Guys like Terry Rozier um, have really stepped up into bigger roles. Um, Jalen Brown, another guy, Jason Tatum playing a huge role as a rookie. Um, I think that's a really uh, big testament to their coaching staff and Brad Stevens uh, leading the charge. So that's why he gets my vote for Coach of the Year. Yeah, I, I really like Brad Stevens. For for Quinn Snyder, I thought it was really important that he helped Jazz, the Jazz team, into into a playoff spot. Many kind of discounted them a little bit, and they ended up getting the um, what is it the the fifth seed in yep. the playoff, which is huge. They they potentially could have had the third seed. Yep. So just putting them in that position, I thought, was a great testament to Quinn Snyder. And it's been well documented, his attention to detail and how focused he is with his schemes, defensive breakdown, and preparation. He's done a really good job there. Yeah. And he was all he was able to do this with losing Gordon Hayward, like yep. you mentioned. Although I guess the Celtics also lost Gordon <laughs> Hayward. Unfortunately, yeah. that was that was a tragic injury. Right. Also, they didn't have Gobert for a good portion of the season, and Gobert's their defensive rock, so they really hurt without him. But he was able to make their defense good enough so they can compete, and it was actually still a pretty effective defense when you look at their numbers. Um, they were second in the league overall in defense at, at 101.9 per 100, fifth in net rating overall at 4.4 per 100. And like I said, he's really known around the league for his attention to detail and how specific he gets with his coverages. Yeah, um, extremely well-respected around the league. And I think uh, in your case, too, the Jazz also had a huge roster turnover this offseason. And in the middle of the season at the deadline, you got guys who, who played a huge role in their playoff run last year. Like you said, Gordon Hayward, um, George Hill is no longer there. Joe Johnson is no longer there. Uh, Rodney Hood gets traded at the deadline. Um, so a lot of guys that are key parts of that team. Uh, you throw in Jay Crowder. You throw in Ricky Rubio. And um, they're still having success. So like I said, same thing with Brad Stevens. That's a, a testament to the coaching staff. Yeah, and really when you look at coaches all around this league, the past two years I think have been a phenomenal year for coaches. Just the, the level of coaching in the NBA has increased so much. You could really give it to a whole host of different coaches. Dwayne Casey, who was my initial pick. Yep. Uh, Alvin Gentry has done a great job in yep. New Orleans getting them to the playoffs without DeMarcus. And towards the end of the year, they really made DeMarcus and Anthony Davis work, yep. which is really impressive. Nate McMillan has done a phenomenal job with Indiana. Yeah, they, they really overachieved the Pacers. Um after that Paul George deal, most people are picking the Pacers uh, to finish like towards the bottom of the league, high lottery, and now you see them sit at the five seed um, in the playoffs. Yeah, and and I know also we have in our notes too Brett Brown and, and Terry Scotts definitely deserve some recognition. Yep, as as well, and Brett Brown I would say is mentioned a little bit more than Terry Scotts, but both aren't mentioned too much in terms of coach of the year. Right, two more teams like Blazers. Definitely have overachieved this year. Terry Stotts has also been a guy who's been mentioned on the hot seat a little bit just because the 
the Blazers have kind of been a little stagnant the last couple of years, always first, second round exit. Um, now they jump to the three seed this year, so they a little overachieved a little bit. And then Brett Brown um, really leading the Sixers this year and, and helping develop players. And the Sixers finally finding success this year after all those trust the process years, all those grueling, grueling tanking years. Brett Brown was through it all, and he's really, really uh, well-respected coach. Um, for his job that he's been doing with the Sixers. So definitely he's got to be in that conversation. Yeah. Any more on coaches? Anything else you have to say on coaches? No, that's about it. Yeah, right. so I think we can move on to executive of the year. Me and Mike both had the same pick. We had Daryl Morey. He's done a great job. I think also someone that I was really looking at was Dennis Lindsay. But when you look at Daryl Morey's whole body of work this year, I, th I thought it was – uh, Daryl Morey definitely deserved the award. Although Dennis Lindsay's done a phenomenal job putting together a good roster that fits finding a gem in Donovan Mitchell right, over in over in Utah, getting yeah. uh, getting Ricky Rubio and and trading out some other guys that might have been a little bit more stagnant. Yeah, and getting in some some fresh blood and revitalizing the crew over there in Utah. Yeah, especially after. Uh after the departure of Gordon Hayward, um, a lot of people expected them to kind of fall off. But like you said, finding Donovan Mitchell, some other guys to plug into that system, and uh, you know keep them as as uh, as real player uh, in the Western Conference. But like you said, we both picked uh, Daryl Morey of the Houston Rockets, um, purely based off the moves he's made this year, um, acquiring. Chris Paul in the offseason was a, a blockbuster deal. Uh, a lot of people questioned. I know I questioned personally. I said, eh, how is, how is Chris Paul going to fit in the system with James Harden and D'Antoni's system? They're both primary ball handlers. So I, I, was, I was a little questionable about how that was going to work, but obviously it's worked out. Um, Chris Paul has kind of been willing to take a little bit of a backseat to Harden, but he's also in ways made Harden better, you know, um, taking a little bit of pressure off of him, yet still giving him the opportunity to um, do his thing, put the ball in the hoop. Um, and it's obviously worked out. They're the one seed in the West. Yeah. I think, let me, I'm going to jump in real quick on Chris Paul, too. I mean, you talked about taking a back seat, but I think a little bit of, of what Chris wanted to do was to take a little bit of the yeah, back seat and right, didn't want right. all that pressure and all the offense to fall on him. Exactly. And that was kind of one of the criticisms with Chris in L.A., was he just, like, everyone kind of criticized him for just pounding the air out of the ball yeah, and taking so many dribbles. Mm -hmm. But I think that's what they had to do to win, right. to, to set up Blake and, and things like that. He had to dribble quite a bit. So that move to, to Houston really allowed him to not be so ball dominant and, and do some other things and showcase his, his ability on other areas of the floor, which has really led to their success. And also, when James is off the floor, then he kind of gets his turn and, and exactly. gets to score the ball and be a little bit more of that floor general. Right. Yeah, and some other uh, notable moves that the Rockets made this season, um, picking up guys like P.J. Tucker, Lucas Shard, and Bob Mute in the offseason, two uh, primary defensive stoppers to complement a guy like James Harden for his lack of defense, so to say. But they've been a huge help, a uh, huge part of their success this season. Um, then 
Mid-season moves, picking up guys like Gerald Green, Joe Johnson have both been key for them. Gerald Green has played some big minutes, has had some big games, uh, was unsigned all season until the Rockets picked him up. Uh, he's hit a, a couple huge shots here in the second half of the season. Uh, Joe Johnson, a guy they picked up recently from Utah, uh, another veteran guy uh, on the back end of his career, but has a, a lot of experience, a uh, big-time shot maker, definitely a guy that could play a key part um, in the postseason when it comes down to the, the nitty-gritty, uh, some big-time games. So, yeah, what else uh, What else do you have about Daryl Morey? Uh, any more points to make him uh, uh, executive of the year? Yeah, I, th I think what he's done a great job of, and you mentioned it a little bit with the signings, is create just a versatile roster of wings that can switch at any position. And I think in the NBA right now, there is a lack of, of wings overall. And so them being able to have wings that can guard two, three, maybe four positions has been huge for them. And then also, I think, too, something that's off the court is just the culture he's created. He's, he's created a, a winning culture that wants to go up against the best. I mean, he's been documented saying in, in the media that all they think about is the Golden State Warriors and beating the Golden, right. Golden State Warriors, who are the best team in the league. So I think kind of that mentality of we're going to go out and, and beat the best so we can be the best has been huge. And everything from him to the owners to the coaches to the players, they all seem to be bought into this system of we're going to shoot the three or we're going to get to the basket and draw a foul. Yep. And that's been huge, and that comes from his analytics background, graduate of MIT, uh, huge in, in sports analytics. And between them and, and the 76ers, they have really led that movement in the NBA. I think uh, that is, is everything. Um, we've, we went through it all. We went through our picks. I'll try to publish this online on, on our blog so you see our, our picks in writing. But it's been really fun doing these. Mike and I have, ha have had a really good time. I think something that I haven't been doing the, mo the most is keeping everyone updated with the charges. So last thing before we end is our final charge list for the season. We'll go from fifth all the way to first. So in fifth place to end the season, we had Marcin Gortat and Quincy Acey with 21 charges. Kemba Walker with 24 DeMarcus Cousins also with 24, Ursan Ilyasova with the number two at with 32 charges, and our charge winner for the season is Kyle Lowry with 37. He's he's always been up there since he's been in the league and taking charges, and it'll be interesting to see how this list compares to playoff charges. But I think that just about wraps it up. Remember to follow us, subscribe, rate, review on Apple Podcasts. We'd love your feedback. Check out our website. The My article on coaches also being general managers is up on the website, so please give that a read. Share it to your friends. That was a really article, fun article to write, and hopefully I'll have some more soon. So thank you very much.